0: is still good amen we've been in a series um, that I've called put away the toys and um, I really felt like we needed to go on with this series um, this week as, as I was processing all that has happened and uh, as I just watched the faith of, of Pastor John and Heather. Through this week, and uh, the fact that there was still a work to do, even in the midst of this hardship, and to watch—you um, know—we we had lunch with them and their family uh, yesterday, and I I literally sat back and I felt like they were my children. I felt so proud of them in that moment that they were just able to uh, stay true to the Lord in that moment, and even through hardship and tears, um, to think about winning the lost <laughs> in that moment was just such a, a powerful experience for me. Um, and I really felt like they taught me uh, this week. And so when I saw that, I just, I really felt like I needed to go on with my series. <laughs> I mean, I felt like this is what we needed to do. And as I, I put this together, this was actually supposed to be a sermon for next Sunday. But as we as I put it together, um, I just began to see that the the Lord was working in it. And so I hope Uh, You see that as we come to the end of it today too, but we've been studying a book by uh, Eugene Peterson called Perseverance. Perseverance, it's long obedience in the same direction. And in this book, he uses the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent are found in Psalm 120 through 134. And these are the songs that the Jews would sing as they would travel to Jerusalem for the feasts. And they would sing these Psalms in order And uh, so we've been taking them in order and looking at how we can grow in our faith. As they ascended to Jerusalem where God was to worship, uh, we're comparing that to our lives as we ascend to the Lord, as we grow in our faith towards him. Um, These are the the things that we've looked at, and this is the ninth psalm, the ninth part of this. Uh, We've talked about growing, and repentance, and trust, and worship, and service, and help, and security, and joy, Uh, and part nine today from Psalm 127 is work, work, Um, yeah, the work. And so we're going to read from the message uh, Bible today, and uh, it's on the screen uh, just in case you don't have a message or you don't have an eye device or one of those other inferior ones. This is what it says. If God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman might as well nap. It's useless to rise up early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? Don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb is his generous legacy. Like a warrior's fistful of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you. You'll sweep them right off your doorstep. That's an interesting psalm for today. As we look back at ancient history in the times of the scripture, the greatest work project of the ancient world ended in disaster. In Genesis chapter 11, we're told the story of these people that wanted to make a name for themselves and build a tower that reached up to the heavens. We now refer to it as the Tower of Babel. Uh, In this ancient world, this was like an un- paralleled organization and skill that was displayed. They put in an enormous amount of en- energy. This was the best that humankind had to offer in a time before machines in the industrial age, and yet it resulted in a shattered community and garbled communication. The fact that we now refer to it as the Tower of Babel instead of the name that maybe they wanted it to be known by is proof of that. Work is a major component in our lives as human beings. In fact, the scripture told us to work the ground. I mean, it's, it's a command. And work can either be something that's good or it can be something that's bad. See, it is the nature of sin, we're taught in scripture, to take things that are good and to skew them, to twist them. Sometimes it's just ever so slightly, it twists the command of God, or it twists something that God intended to be good and it makes it bad. The Greek word that we translate in our Bibles for sin is literally a word that is defined as miss the mark. In fact, Mark Apple, when he taught the youth Sunday school class, always used to tease them that sin is missing the mark. (laughs) And that was his little joke, but that's literally what that word means. And so it's even to miss it ever so slightly. But that's the nature of sin. And so work is is not necessarily good or bad. In fact, I believe work was created by God as something that is good, but sin has skewed it and can make it something that is bad. In our discipleship, in our growth in the Lord, it's our responsibility to work with the Holy Spirit to see how the sin nature skews these things, how it takes the commands of God and skews them, and then once we learn that, it's our job to submit ourselves to what is right and what is good, and to submit ourselves to the ways of God so that through our obedience to him, our lives are reshaped and renewed. I mean, we we know that when we come to Christ, we are instantly made new, but we also know that we are being made new. We are working out our salvation. So Psalm 127 shows us both a right way and a wrong way to work. I think it gives us a warning, and I think it also gives us an example so that all the work that we do as human beings is to the glory of God. It says at the beginning, if God doesn't build a house, the builders only build shacks, If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman might as well take a nap. It's useless to rise up early and go to bed late and work your fingers to the bone. Work your, excuse me, worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? Now, some people will read those verses like this You don't have to put yourself out at all. Go to sleep. God is doing everything that needs to be done. I don't know that that's what the psalmist is trying to get across. If you go to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a powerful story of the people of God working the vision and will of God. Uh, If you've never read the, the book of Nehemiah, it's only 13 short chapters. I'd encourage you to read it sometime. But it starts... Uh, with Nehemiah being the king's cupbearer, going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, the wall of God, or the wall around the city, and then the temple of God in Jerusalem. He felt like it was what God wanted him to do. The king gives him the resources and everything he needs to do it. And so you would think it would just be a breeze. I mean, hey, it's the will of God. This is supposed to happen. The king's given me everything I need. He's given me permission. This will be piece of cake, right? I mean, that's what, if God's in it, it'll just be easy. That's what some people look at Psalm 127 and say. But look at what Nehemiah reports in the middle of this book. We kept at it, repairing and rebuilding the wall. The whole wall was so soon joined together and halfway to its intended height because the people had worked at, had a heart for the work. The people had a heart for the work. It didn't, it didn't happen because it was God's will. God didn't come while they were sleeping and build it, but the people had a heart for the work. They worked at it, some translations say, with all their might. And that's why they were able to rebuild it halfway. Then we went back to the wall later in the chapter and went to work. From then on, half of my young men worked while the other half stood guard with lances and shields and bows and male armor. Military officers served as backup for everyone in Judah who was at work rebuilding the wall. The common laborers held a tool in one hand and a spear in the other. Each of the builders had a sword strapped to his side as he worked. Why? Well, because some people had come in to try to disrupt the work. And they were trying to hinder them from rebuilding the wall. What? This is God's will. The king put his stamp of approval. What this should be easy. But they've got to stand there now with a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other to build this that is God's will. That doesn't sound like taking it easy, does it? Look at what they said next. So we kept working from first light until the stars came out. Half of us holding our lances. The chapter ends. We all slept in our clothes. I don't know about this, Lord. I mean, I want to change my clothes every day and take a shower. I mean, come on. I, my brothers, my workmen, and the guards backing me up. And each one kept his spear in his hand, even when getting water. That's hard work, that's effort. And the Lord was in it, that's why they were able to have success. But even though the Lord was in it, it required a whole lot of effort on their part. In fact, the rest of Nehemiah, they kind of get lazy and they stop doing it. Nehemiah goes back to the king because he's the king's cupbearer and he's, he's got responsibilities. And when he comes back in Nehemiah chapter 13, I mean, he goes out on these people because one of the guys had, had moved into the temple. I mean, he had put his belongings in the temple and took the, the things that were supposed to be in the temple out. And Nehemiah cleaned house. He threw this guy's stuff out. He's like, I don't know what you're doing. Purify this place and get the right stuff back in here. And the people that had d- neglected their work or gotten lazy, he I mean, he just read chapter 13. He's not a nice guy. He's not like, come on, guys, let's just keep. He's like, no, this is the, the will of God. Let's keep building this thing. Let's do it the way the, the word has prescribed. And that's what he does. In the New Testament. We get an example of this in Thessalonica. Thessalonica is just a city in in Asia where the apostle Paul plants a church. Then he writes a letter back to them. There's a group of people in Thessalonica that are kind of like the people that think that the Lord's just going to do all the work. They had believed that everything had been done in Christ. God accomplished it all in Christ and so there's nothing more for them to do. I mean, we know that God has accomplished everything in Christ, but that doesn't neglect or doesn't say that we have no responsibility at all. And so the apostle Paul is writing to them to kind of correct that. You know, if all of our efforts are going to end up in like the godless confusion like at Bethel or they're going to end up in the self-righteous works of the Pharisees then yeah let's be like these people at Thessalonica and say what's the use of even working at all let's just sit back and wait for Jesus to come I mean why have a church building someone's just got to clean it and take care of it why have these programs why have these classes I mean let's just scrap it all I mean I don't even think this church is in the Bible I don't think the way we do church is in the Bible let's just toss it to the side, and let's not work at all. Let's just sit here and wait for Jesus to come. That's a theology of today. And the Apostle Paul writes to these people, these believers who were sitting around doing nothing, who were living by faith off of their less spiritual friends who were working, because someone had to pay the bills. Someone had to, to do the work, to make all of this happen, someone had to prepare the love feast. It weren't these people in Thessalonica that were just sitting back resting in what Christ has accomplished on the cross. In fact, if we were unfriendly critics, we might have called them freeloaders. Whoa. You know, the people that benefit from the ministry of the body but don't want to tithe or give, the people that want to sit in a classroom and get fed but never want to take their turn to teach. I didn't think you'd say amen. Now, don't listen to me. Look at Paul. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Don't you remember the rule we had when we lived with you? If you don't work, you don't eat. Oh, he's talking about physical food, right? Or is he talking Spiritually. What is Paul talking about? We're getting reports that a bunch of lazy, good-for-nothings are taking advantage of you. Obviously, this is the message. This must not be tolerated. We command them to get to work immediately. No excuses, no arguments, earn their own keep. Friends, don't slack off in doing your duty. See, Paul's like, how dare you reinterpret the gospel into a rationalization to be lazy? Look what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You remember us in those days, friends, working our fingers to the bone, up half the night, working, moonlighting, so that you wouldn't have the burden of supporting us while we proclaim God's message to you. You saw with your own eyes how discreet and courteous we were among you, with keen sensitivity to you as fellow believers, and God knows we weren't freeloaders. You experienced it all firsthand. See, there's going to be a group of people that just want to sit and receive, but don't, You know, I don't necessarily want to plug in or give myself to a bunch of people, and I don't know that it's biblical, Pastor. You're right. I may not be able to prove it's biblical, but I wonder if you'll ever really be able to eat spiritually if you don't work. Think about that for just a second. Most people who give themselves to the body of Christ and really dig in and serve in it aren't usually the ones that complain about the body of Christ. The ones that complain are usually the people on the fringe that just show up Sunday morning for a snack. I know, I hate it too. I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just trying to be real. And that's what the psalm is teaching us. See, there is this, this, in our culture, this self-made man. There's this idea that, you know, you just, you can do anything you put your mind to. Just work harder and you'll be able to accomplish it. Well, if the Lord's not in it, work as hard as you want. You're not going to do anything. So it's not that extreme. But it's not this other extreme where it just says, you know, God's just going to do it all. And we just need to sit back and trust him. No, somewhere in the middle is this idea that God works and we should be working too. And I think that Psalm 127 begins to teach us how this happens. I don't think Psalm 127 is encouraging us to be uh, a workaholic and I don't think it's encouraging us to be a dropout. I think that Psalm 127 is pointing us in the right way to work. See, in the beginning, God worked. Right? Right? Psalm 127 starts with this premise. It says, if, if God doesn't build, meaning God builds, meaning God guards, God works. See, the difference between us as Christians and people in the world is we take God seriously and they don't. We believe God is the central reality of all existence. We pay attention to what he says. We pay attention to who he is. We pay attention to what he he does. And we order our lives in response to who he is, in response to what he does, in response to what he says. In Genesis chapter 1, the announcement is, in the beginning, God created. It does not say, in the beginning, God sat majestically in the heavens. It does not say in the beginning God was filled with beauty and love. It says He created. He did something. He made something. He fashioned heaven and earth. The week of creation was a week of work. We live in a universe and a history where God is working. He's at work right now on the earth. The scripture defines for us how God works. They show us and they describe for us how he has worked throughout history and how he's still working today. We have examples of creation. We have acts of redemption. We've got examples of help and compassion. And so we study the word, we read the word to find out how God works in Christ so that we can join him and work also in the name of Christ. Each of the letters that Paul wrote to his churches explain that work is a natural, inevitable, faithful outflow of God's work in our lives. It shows us that there are directives of how to participate in the work of God. The problem for us comes when we lose touch with the God who works. When we start doing the work and we lose touch with the God who works. The trouble comes when we start to work anxiously. The trouble comes when we don't work at all. The trouble comes when we work frantically and compulsively. The trouble comes when we work and don't work and we're lazy and apathetic. I believe Psalm 127 teaches us this foundational truth. Work is good. If God does it, it must be good. We as believers need to strive to see how sin wants to skew it and make us become a workaholic or how sin wants to skew it and just drop out. Is the church perfect? Absolutely not. Is everything we do the right way to do things? No. But you can either sit on the outside and bark in at it or you can dive into it and help it. Which one do you think God wants you to do? Last night, as I was scrolling through Facebook, I came across a a minister's page. And there was a minister on there just saying, is it just me or is there anyone else who hates Sundays? And somebody on there just said, get another job. (laughs) And they're like, you know, you could have some compassion. Get another job. Honestly. I mean, if you can't, I mean, and they go into all these things that tell us how church is broken. As if we don't know. But you know what? I have a choice. I have a choice to either look forward to Sunday or to regret Sunday. And sometimes it's a battle. I'm not gonna sit here and lie to you and say I look forward to every Sunday. No. There's a work that is good don't let the skeptics and the cynics that are outside looking in skew what God calls good, okay? Psalm 127 not only gives us that warning, but it gives us an example, and I promise this point is much shorter. For those of you that are like, dude, does he know what time it is? The end of the psalm says this, don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb, his generous legacy. Like a warrior's fist full of arrows are the children of vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you. You'll sweep them right off your doorstep. You know, the beginning of the psalm is this anxious work of building cities and guarding possessions. And now he contrasts that with the effortless work of making children. Children are not born through human effort. Okay, now, I understand the process of reproduction. I know where sons and daughters come from. But what do we do to get sons and daughters? Very little. I mean, in what we call work, that's not it. Okay, we participate in a God-ordained act of love. And from that, we have children. You can't form the child in the womb. You, we can't, there's very little effort that goes into it but there's a responsibility that's there. God tells us from the beginning that it's always about children. His first command in Genesis chapter one, be fruitful and multiply, have children. That's God's design for Adam and Eve. That's God's design for us in his work. Have spiritual children. If our Sunday school class isn't about spiritual children, stop it. If our worship service isn't about spiritual children, stop it. If, if we get connected with the heart of God, we will understand it's all about children. There's this old argument in the church that used to say, well, you have to balance ministry with the body to reaching the lost. No, you don't. The way the body gets ministered to is reaching the lost. That's biblical. It's more blessed to give to out than it is to receive. In fact, if you don't give, you really can't receive. As a pastor, I sometimes bang my head against the wall trying to help people receive, and they can't because they won't let something flow out of them first. It's all about children. It's about sons and daughters. Jesus, by his work on the cross, made us sons and daughters of God. And if we're gonna join him in his work, it's about making sons and daughters of God. People are the center of the Christian work. Relationships are the center of the Christian work. The character of our work is not our accomplishments, our possessions. It's about relationships. Children are God's best gift. We invest our energy in people. You don't teach a Sunday school class because we have a need. You teach a Sunday school class to invest in people. You serve as a greeter, not because you want to uh, help the church have greeters at the door, but to invest in people. And if we're doing it for any other reason other than to make sons and daughters of God, then we're, we're missing it. We're not in his work. All that we build and all that we make and all that we collect and all that we gather makes no difference if it's not about people. We build relationships, we learn a name, we start a friendship, we follow up with a smile, we shake a hand, we greet someone, we, we join in this process. See, all around us there are seeds. Did you know that? Cottonwood trees, seeds. Maple trees, oak trees, seeds. Flowers, seeds, everywhere. And now, wouldn't it be foolish for that tree that spreads its seeds everywhere hoping for baby trees to say, I spread all my seeds and no trees were birthed. So I will no longer spread my seeds. No, creation just continues to spread seeds. But we... Are nice to people. We try to learn their names. We try to make friends. I mean, I've tried to build sons and daughters. I've tried to reach out to people, but it, I, I, it just doesn't happen. So I'm just going to stop spreading my seeds. What? Shake everybody's hand. Love everybody. We're not responsible to make the thing grow. We're not responsible to make them a son or daughter. We're just responsible to get the seed out there. Does that make sense? God's work is always about people. Children, a quiver full. He says you are blessed because you have a quiver full of children. You are not blessed because you've got a big house. You are not blessed because you have a well-guarded city. I mean, you gotta build the house, you gotta guard the city, but when you're blessed because it's full of children. We're not going to stand before God and He's going to say, man, Huron first was blessed because you had a big building. Huron first was blessed because you had good offerings. Huron first was, was blessed because you had great programs. Huron first was blessed because what Huron first was blessed because you had a quiver full of children. Make a son and daughter. The person next to you, make a son and daughter of God. That's what the psalmist says the work of God is all about. And it's easy for us to lose sight of that. It's easy for us to just start going to church and going through the routine and going through the motions and forget that this is why we do it. I mean, think of the the first people to sing this song. This is a song that you sing on the way to Jerusalem to worship God. Think of them as they expanded all the effort it took for them to get to Jerusalem to worship. Some of them came a long distance. Some of them had to overcome some really formidable obstacles to get there. I wonder if there was a tendency when they got there to congratulate each other on the successful journey. Think about that. To begin to to be proud of their accomplishment. We made it to Jerusalem. They began to share stories about their experiences. Then they began to compare who made the longest journey. How far did you come? Ooh, ooh, you came farther. Ooh. Or who made the fastest pilgrimage? We made it here in just four days. Whoa, you traveled that distance in four days? The pride that they had in that experience. Who made, who brought the most neighbors with them? Who's been here the most times? And back and forth. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of all of this comparison, someone begins to sing, if God doesn't build the house, if God doesn't guard the city, reminding them the pilgrimage is not the center, God is the center. See, we sometimes celebrate our buildings and our cities and our programs and our stuff, and we forget to celebrate the God who is God of it. We start getting proud of our pilgrimage more than we're proud of our God. So no matter how they struggled to get there and no matter what heroics they had to do to get there, Psalm 127 is the reminder that it's the Lord who builds the house and his work is people. And so if having people means having stains, so be it. That make sense? The proverbs tell us that you can have a nice clean tidy barn or you can have animals. And so we can we can structure this church exactly how we all want it. We can worry about how we want it, what we need or we can prepare it as a nursery for children. Spiritual children, because that's the heart of the father. See, all this week, as I watched Pastor John and Heather, the thing that's in his heart is spiritual children. And even as he was giving up a physical child, the priority of his heart and mind were spiritual ones. How do you do that? Well, he knows he's gonna see that son again someday. And if he doesn't speak up, that child, that doctor, that nurse in the room, he may not see again. It's all about children. If God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman might as well nap. It's useless to rise up early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? Don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb, his generous legacy. Like a warrior's fist full of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you. You'll sweep them right off your doorstep. So the question is, are we involved in his work? Maybe we're over-involved, working tirelessly in, his own, in our own strength, or maybe we're under-involved and the words that Paul gave to the Thessalonian church are directed at us. Perhaps we've made the work too central. Perhaps programs and methods and activities have become more important than the people or the Lord. We don't ever celebrate the work. We celebrate the God of the work. And we have to keep that in the forefront of our minds. And so, Father, I ask today that you would forgive us of all of our self-righteous efforts. Forgive us for trying to labor in our own strength. Father, forgive us for laziness or a pessimistic approach to the work of your kingdom, Forgive us for allowing hardships or difficulties or mistreatment to cause us to become cynical or jaded and to neglect the work that you've called us to. Forgive us for making the work central. Forgive us for exalting programs and buildings and things, and possessions, structures above you and above people. Help us to be fully engaged in your work. Help us to be fully engaged in making sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. Father, help us to be parents with quivers full of children, not possessions, not wealth, not programs, not buildings. Help us to apply your word today. Every one of us in this room is at a different place. The amazing thing about our God is he can speak to every one of us in this room in a different way. And I don't know where you are in your journey with him. But this I know, God has invited us to join him in his work. And the enemy wants to skew that and twist that and keep us from fully understanding and walking in that. And every one of us today could choose to rationalize how we are living and how we are behaving right now. Or we could open our hearts to what the spirit wants to say and show us and allow him to direct us in the days, in the weeks, in the months ahead. My prayer is as a church that we would be fully engaged in the work of God. We would be fully engaged with the God of the work so that we're fully engaged with the work of God. And so, Father, that's my prayer for this body. Holy Spirit, build your church. We want to be a part of it. Lead us and direct us. Now I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for taking just a few extra moments uh, with us today. The altars are always open. If you need prayer and you weren't able to be prayed for earlier, our prayer team would love to stay and uh, minister to you if you need that. Uh, If you want to just spend some time alone in prayer, the altars are open for you to do that as well. If you want to be dismissed, uh, please do it quietly and just let this be a place of prayer for those that want to stay and pray for a little bit. Otherwise, just save your visiting for the foyer area. God bless you as you go today.